0: The following is brought to you by Michael Bolick, The Joe Q. Car Show, Dan Campbell, Olin and Angelo, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics Podcast. October 21st, 2020. We are 13 days away. 13 days away from the election. Good googly moogly. This thing is juicy. Oh, we got a lot to get to here today. Uh, Andrew Heaton. Of the Political Orphanage, of course, will continue to join us as he will uh, be periodically stopping by this podcast between now and Election Day. We're also going to have a uh, visit from one of our favorites in Tom Merritt. He's going to talk all about the Department of Justice's antitrust case that was brought against Google yesterday. Exactly. How that is unfolding if it's likely to succeed and what it means for the rest of Silicon Valley. We got a debate tomorrow. So uh, I'll take a real quick look at, well, I I got a hunch. I got a hunch that this mic muting thing might actually help Trump. We asked the question, are the polls tightening?
1: BUT FIRST!
0: Okay, hello!
1: Hi everyone! Holy cow! Bear with me. Can y'all hear me? I'm taking a look at some of you guys in the chat here. And thanks for your patience because this is my first time ever streaming on Twitch. So there's like 8 million different windows here that we're dealing with.
0: Um, Was it a one-off? Maybe. Was it a publicity stunt designed to drive awareness in early voting? Without question. But last night, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez went on Twitch.tv. She would be the second major political force on there. Well, Bernie really did a lot. Trump. Uh, wound up getting banned from the platform uh, because of something that he said during a rally. But AOC, being a young congresswoman, somebody that is very popular with the millennial to Zoomer generation, is built for a platform that has not only had its grassroots with that age demographic, but also has come of age in the pandemic. Indeed, you could say that more people now know Twitch.tv as something other than that damn thing that's on the iPad all the time as just a legitimate broadcasting home. And so it should really be little surprise that AOC playing the popular social deduction game Among Us was anything but sus. She drew a peak of 435,000 viewers. To give you context, that's cable ratings. In fact, it's better than cable ratings because... We know that that's the exact number that is watching at any given time. For example, a edition of NFL Live on ESPN, 4pm, drew, according to Nielsen, which is an estimate of total viewership, 452,000 viewers. There's no doubt that over the span of the three and a half hours that she was on, she drew far more than that. So we are not talking about a statistically insignificant amount of people. Make no mistake, friends. I'm not saying that this is going to tip the election in any way, but it is a surefire sign of two things. Number one, AOC is a star. And when I say star, I mean supernova, undeniable. If I were Nancy Pelosi, if I were Chuck Schumer, or if I were anybody on the Republican side, when she eventually comes to bigger stages, I would be very aware of the fact that she commands a crowd. And I don't think anyone's going to laugh that off considering Donald Trump is in the White House and attracting a crowd is what he's best at as well. Secondarily, I wonder if Twitch is something that now will become slightly more mainstream for politicians. It's long form, It's family friendly. It demonstrates that you can engage with an audience because I'll tell you this, as somebody who has done a lot of live streaming, it's very, very, very hard to maintain a facade for the amount of time that you wind up spending live streaming. You everybody shows their ass. When it comes to having a camera on you for multiple hours, you play a game, you get frustrated, you say things you wouldn't otherwise, it, it, it's just revealing. It's an x-ray. And for politicians, I can understand why some wouldn't want to do it beyond the fact that they wouldn't be able to figure out how to exactly you know, go to the website and, and start streaming anyway. But we're at a point now where politicians on Instagram Live or Facebook Live is normal. Every politician, even the old ones like Chuck Grassley with his lost pigeon alerts, have Twitters. They all have Facebooks. So it's not the idea of interacting on the Internet that would be verboten. No, It would be the video games. And yet video games are the way that you connect with the largest audience on Twitch. So if AOC, a sitting congresswoman, when there is no COVID relief bill passed, can go on and have a gangbuster successful Twitch stream and nobody seems to be hanging any of that baggage on her, then I do think that part of this worm has turned. This is now a legitimate way that you can connect with your audience. Now, will we see with Twitch the same kind of battles that we have seen on... Twitter and on Facebook if things wind up getting spicier on the platform, if there are more controversial characters on Twitch.tv, if they are doing more than just playing among us, well, we already have. These battles have been happening on politics Twitch for a little bit. But still, I think it is a very, very interesting watershed moment generationally the big question 13 days out is exactly how big the biden victory is going to be at least that's what it seems like i mean that's what it seems like most of the conversation is about it seems like that's most of the media narrative I got some feedback from you guys. I'm not even going to wait till Friday that uh, uh, we're surprised that I said during the RT interview that I did on uh, when I was on the RT panel on Thursday that when, when press and I didn't leave into that that clips package that they were pressing us to make predictions. And I don't like to make predictions. I, I, I like to kind of build my state of the race. If I make a prediction, I like to get out in front of it and, and make a big deal about it. But I don't really have a like prediction prediction for this race. I, I just have my beliefs in the fundamentals. And my beliefs in the fundamentals are that it's going to be close and that incumbents are, are hard to beat. But when incumbents have been beat that weren't third terms of the same party, again, I'm not even going to get into it with George H.W. Bush. The last true incumbent to lose And the way that Trump would lose is Carter. So we're comparing him to Carter. How did Carter lose? He lost because of the Iranian hostage crisis and the uh, economic situation and the gas shortage. So we have a terrible economic situation that has rebounded from its worst and we have an unprecedented 100-year plague, at least in our modern era. So yeah, that seems like the kind of stuff that could make an incumbent lose. You could look back and say, yeah, well, he lost because of COVID and he lost because of what happened with the economy. And he can be blamed for both, at least by the people that would vote him out. Cool. All right, so I'm not saying that Biden winning is insane. I'm just saying that if I were forced to pick, I would rather pick what would be historically the aberration. Carter losing is an aberration. Trump losing would be an aberration. Most incumbents win. I'd rather be surprised on the thing that history hasn't repeatedly told us would happen Versus the thing that history has told us repeatedly doesn't happen. So with that being said, let's go ahead in to see our polls. Now, I am only going to be looking at the very messy, aberrant world that is going to get more frequent of state polling for this segment. Mostly because I don't know how much I trust any polling right now. I don't know how much polling can capture where we are in terms of voting patterns, whether or not people might hate somebody or love somebody, but are they going to go vote for them? Are they going to vote early? Are their votes going to count if they vote by mail? Will they think about voting and then coronavirus is going to get worse by election day and they don't want to leave their house. So if there's so much that we don't know, then I don't exactly know the worth of some of, and I think they do uh, the the best jobs with the materials they're given, but the poll aggregators and model makers like the, the Nates of the world, Cohen and Silver at 538 and Upshot, I don't know how much adding more weighting and shifting and predicting gives us a clearer picture. That's just where I'm at right now. I, I, I don't know exactly how much I trust the raw numbers, so I'm definitely leery about the algebra equation using those numbers that's supposed to make us come away with a clearer idea of what is going to happen or could happen. But the big question right now is, is the race tightening? Are we getting closer by these numbers to Donald Trump having more of a shot electorally? So let's go ahead and go through all of our swing states right now, huh? We're going to start at the beginning of October. And using the real clear politics average, we're just going to see if the polls have tightened and by how much. Let's begin with the greatest state in the Union, Florida.
2: Sorry for party rocking.
0: Bit of a roller coaster in this race uh, through October. Uh, You know, the end of September was a two point race. Then Biden went on a hell of a tear, had a lead as big as four points by average. It has since closed to 1.6. So considering on October 1st, there was a two-point advantage, and now there is a 1.6% advantage. Uh, yes, the polls have closed fractionally in Florida, although this, this is one that's gone back and forth. And, and, and Florida, as it always should be, is a very, very, very close swing state. How about Wisconsin? This one is massive a big surprise win for Donald Trump in 2016 was a a center of some of the, the riots for which Trump hoped the law and order message would reverberate. Uh, He needs Wisconsin. He needs Michigan. And this one is a win for Biden. Uh, October 1st, the real clear politics average had uh, Biden up 5.8. Now, Biden is up 6.3. So a widening advantage in the crucial dairy state of Wisconsin. Let's talk about Michigan. Similar story. Donald Trump uh, was down 5.7% in the Real Clear Politics average on October 1st. By the latest, he is down 7.2%. So... Part of the rationale for why Joe Biden was the guy was that he would play in these states. Now, the polling in these states has also been a little bit dicey historically, but you'd rather have the number than not have the number. Biden, the polls have widened in October in Michigan. But let's move into some of the more traditional powerhouse swing states in the Rust Belt. Here we go. Pennsylvania home of the Pittsburgh Steelers 5 and 0 here we go Biden in the beginning of October led by 6.8 that has damn near halved to 3.7 in aggregate lead for Pennsylvania that is that, that that's a key state look I don't believe that Joe Biden can win if he win if he doesn't win Pennsylvania. Like Joe Biden is your nominee because he's gonna win Pennsylvania. He can speak to the Pennsylvania voters. He's the kid from Scranton. This is his uh, uh this is his his wheelhouse, right? Right now, three point seven percent lead in a state that obviously will be crucial. Let's head down south, North Carolina. Come on and raise up. Take your shirt off. Wave it around your head like a helicopter. That's what the Trump team was probably doing on October 1st. They were only behind Biden by about a point. That has widened to 23 as of right now. So that is another poll that is yawning in favor of Biden, although two point three and one. We're still within margins of error here. Let's head west to the furthest flung swing state of this election, the rapidly purpling to blueing Arizona. A state for which Martha McSally is going to eat another L. There's a reason why her last name has two L's in it. Because she was born to do it. They're going to lose that Senate seat again. Arizona's going to have two Democratic senators. Holy moly. But Martha McSally is not Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a national brand and the sitting president at the beginning of Of October, it was a Biden plus three point one. And as I speak to you right now, it is a Biden plus two point eight. So narrowly tightening for Donald Trump, which brings us to the Buckeye state. So goes Ohio. So goes the nation is the phrase that Ohio has so rarely, incorrectly predicted who would be the president that we now assume that that is the fulcrum on on which the nation tilts. At the beginning of October, Biden had a 3.3% lead. As I speak to you right now, Donald Trump is the real clear politics average leader by point 2 that is the only swing state for which he is in the lead but if we are going to take our seven swing states Florida, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, North Carolina you would say that they are tightening in three of them for Trump, and he flipped one. They are widening for Biden in Wisconsin, Michigan, and North Carolina. Now, some of you might object to the way that I'm doing this, and and let me make this clear. Trump has to win all of them, or at least he did win all these states in 2016 when he became president of the United States. Again, He needs all of them. But two weeks out, if we're going to ask the question, are the polls tightening? In Florida, Pennsylvania, Arizona, and Ohio, the answer is yes. And in Wisconsin, Michigan, and North Carolina, the answer is no. Yesterday, I gave you guys my uh, double-barreled opinion on the debate commission and, and look, having thought about it for another 24 hours, I might need to soften up on them a bit. I, I don't know what it's like to be between those two campaigns. And if, if my goal is or my, my, my metric for them is that they need to make sure these debates happen and behind the scenes, one of the campaigns is threatening to walk if there's not some kind of change then maybe you do need to make some kind of change and you got to eat it and you got to say that you're the one that's doing it even though it's definitely one side that's arguing for it. So I might be being a little too judgmental there. I just wanted to say that. But also, you know, don't tell me about the labor. Show me the baby. You didn't do one debate. That's on you. Blah, blah, blah. Let's talk about this mic muting thing because here's something else I've thought about. The biggest note that we're reading from inside the Trump campaign is let Biden talk. Let him talk. You come off as more coherent anyway. The only way that you come off as the biggest possible a-hole is if you keep interrupting him the longer he talks uninterrupted, the better it is for you because he tends to ramble. So let him ramble. And if that's the case, I mean, that's, again, this is the Trump, this is what we're reading from inside the Trump campaign. If that's the case, then Trump's mics being muted during at least the introduction is probably for the best, especially considering the fact that by far Trump's strength is his witty counterpunches. Like, he had a, a a line in the first debate where, uh, uh, I forget what the exact back and forth was, but it was something along the lines of, of Joe Biden chiding Trump for having uh, rallies at the airports and Trump saying, yeah, well, you can't because no one would show up. And, like, that got a laugh, like a genuine laugh out of Chris Wallace. Do you know how funny something has to be in the moment to get a laugh from somebody that, honest to God, wants to murder you? Because Chris Wallace, honest to God, wanted to murder Donald Trump during that debate. When he's doing the, like, sir, 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 like, Chris Wallace doesn't want to be doing that. You know, but behind-the-scenes stuff says that Chris Wallace is a bit of a Bit of a haughty, a haughty pony. He is not somebody that, that suffers fools gladly. So if he's out doing the like, sir, sir, sir routine, then you know he's not in love with it. You know that he's upset about it. And if he's upset about it, then that means that he is, he's angry. And Donald Trump got like a genuine laugh out of him. His timing is really good. If he focused more on landing those moments, then I think it would be a different situation than it would be in the first in the first debate. You know, just a little bit off the off the gas and I think he comes off better. With that being said, man alive, I don't know exactly what these Debates are going to do. 40 million people have already voted in this election. According to the election project, 130 million voted in total in 2016. So a significant portion of the total votership has already cast their vote. Now we have had far more conversation about, uh, about early voting in this bizarre scenario. We've had a lot of states expand mail-in voting. Uh, mail-in voting? Not mail-in boating. That's a whole different situation. That's what I'm going to do after this After this stupid election's over. I'm going to go mail-in boating. I'm going to mail myself a boat. Oh, my God. I should go boating. Man, can we, I want to rent a boat. Should we do a PX3 cruise? We'll just all sit around and like play risk and just be nerds. That sounds like a bad idea in a, in, a, in a coronavirus world, though. Somebody gets the vid and then we're all coughing and dying. All right. That got off on a weird tangent. I'm saying that a lot of people have already voted in this election. So who knows exactly what, the, uh, what, what, what a debate does. But don't think of it as the mythical independent voters going to be swayed one way or another think about it more like people and for Donald Trump this is how we should be focusing people that are trump curious that are disgusted enough by him to not vote for him but would never vote for a democrat those are the people that he has to woo you know and and if anything i don't know if he's ever going to take away the bad he's got to show him the good He's got to show him the things that you like. If you hate his Twitter and you think he might be incompetent and he might have bungled this very, very difficult coronavirus problem, well then, what do you like about him? Is he loudly touting the points that you think are very important? And is he doing it in a fun way for which you believe is uh? you you believe, gives you some kind of personality or makes you happy to say that you voted. Flip side, for Biden, if early voting is something that is known to be democratically heavy, then literally all Joe Biden has to do is not have a stroke and tell everybody to vote. Hey, vote. Vote, vote, vote. And if uh, Donald Trump is doing the same thing he did in the first debate, just literally at the end of, of of Trump talking, just go this guy. Am I right? And and let that be that. That's really what I think this, the 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 stakes are here. Ah, uh, only a few scant—I mean, less than two weeks from election day, which means we are joined yet again by the currently Oakland inhabiting. Andrew Heaton, how you doing, buddy?
2: Uh, delighted to be back, Justin. Uh, and and to be here in the last fortnight before the election. <laughs> Man,
0: all right. So let's just do a real quick check in. Uh, I I've been calling this phase of the election where everybody really, really, really dials in Bat Country, like the uh, uh scene from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas where. They're on mescaline and driving, <laughs> you know, down the highway, uh, uh, where nobody is in their right mind, and everybody's asking for strange things, and yet they're irritable, they're quixotic. Like mm-hmm. it is just bizarre. We are in backcountry. Uh, where
2: would you, uh,
0: uh, where would you put Armenia? right now on a scale
2: from 1 to 10 okay, national mania. It, it's honestly really hard for me to gauge it because I have tacked hardcore the opposite direction as hard as I can to maintain my sanity. Like, do you remember where I was this weekend? Wondr- uh, wandering around a forest. Yes. No, <laughs> just,
0: you are you are you are now I feel like uh, obviously a, a rough introduc- uh, I- introduction to uh the the Oakland environs. Although thank you to everybody. Yeah. Who, who kicked into your disaster relief I, fund? I
2: will, you know what? I will um, put this on my show as well because I want to give a proper thank you. But I have not only got enough money to replace the laptop and the mics, there's been enough money on top of that that I am. And I really am very thankful for this. I am going to use that money to hire a hitman to kill the man that <laughs> stole my stuff, uh, and that's all due to listener generosity. And yeah, you're all culpable, Thank and a for good that. one, a good one. Uh, now you're not going to yeah, cheap no. out. This no, is no, like no tweaker. This like. is a, he's union. He's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all good. Uh, no, but I, I was in the woods this weekend and uh, got some work done, but was not like interacting with people in politics. And like and now that I'm living out of the scamp, yeah. when I wake up in the morning, I just quietly eat breakfast and make coffee, and like I don't even check email mail till like you know I've been awake for four hours so I've been able to kind of unplug from this and the fact that there's COVID happening I'm not like going to improv swaps or anything where people are like flipping out and crying and holding each other and then asking me to like condemn my family or whatever they want me to do yeah Uh, but my guess is people are super freaked out based on all the peripheral comments I'm getting all the comments I'm hearing are like everybody's freaking out right now and so uh, I buy it I believe it
0: sounds cool
2: yeah no but it
0: seems like you've found some equilibrium here in in Oakland you you come down into civilization for like the week, And, yeah. and, and you have a little I, office, I, I, and, then, I come and then you screw off to the forest. Yeah, for the I come weekends. in for
2: Wi Fi and to stock up on electricity and water, and then I go away at night. I just read a book. <laughs> I, I don't even <laughs> listen to music while I read the book. That's like sensory overload. Maybe I'll listen to music while I'm eating dinner. Yeah, but that's it. Like I've like I like like last night was the first night I listened to a podcast. While in the scamp, and it was Alan Watts, who's like a dead Zen Buddhist from like the 1970s. So it's, it's I've really slowed down. I feel like actually this, in is, my input. this is
0: a smart way to do it, you know, like I, I maybe, I don't know, but the, the, although this might make us a good pair because I'll be able to, I'll be able to point things out because I, the way I positioned myself earlier today to a friend was. You know, I, I'm kind of like your buddy that you really want with you when you try acid for the first time.
2: <laughs> like, I, I, yeah, no, I totally see it's that. It's just like, like 100%, I'll make sure you're yeah. gonna
0: get water. Like, right, like, yeah, there's, there's. You've like, probably done it before. You oh, know the ropes. Yeah, don't yeah. worry. Guys. You can, you
2: could like, walk us through. Like, hey, man, don't worry. You're okay. This total, it's normal. You feel like a heavy sensation. That totally exactly. goes with the program. Don't worry. You're really gonna enjoy That's it. That's
0: why when everybody's like, I'm like, hey, look, expect the polls to close. Expect, expect the polls to close. And they're like, no, I'm like. Trust me, bro. Like, like, This is the same thing. Here's some orange slices and some water. We got to make sure you're <laughs> hydrated. All right, buddy? Uh, uh, just, just don't do it to yourself. But I needed to talk to you on this show, despite the fact that obviously we have a lot going on in terms of the antitrust and the, the, the debates that are going to happen tomorrow. There was one story that I felt needed to be discussed with you specifically, and it comes from the greatest state in the union, Florida. Uh, where else the headline judge lets Tootsie strip club defy Miami Dade COVID curfew calling it legal and even then in the headline I think it kind of does a disservice here uh Tootsie strip club for which I have been a patron throughout my life uh like not like like forever, but just a few times. You had tradition. your commencement speech
2: there. <laughs> you lost your virginity and got married there.
0: I know. Uh, as I open my wallet, my my Tootsie's Club card falls yeah, you, out with eight hole punches. Yeah, you
2: you use that as your ID to board airplanes. You got a special dispensation from the state government.
0: So Tootsie's in Lord is famous because it's a former and please don't laugh, BJ's Wholesale Club. Okay. Uh, Wholesale what? Oh, like liquor? Well, no, no, no. It used to be so BJ's is Walmart's oh, okay. version. No, no. Sam's Club is Walmart's. BJ's is another player in the Costco game. So okay. basically, yeah. think a Costco-style big box Got it. store. Okay. It goes out of business and of course, a enterprising strip club says,
1: they're, they're, "Yep, we'll take all of it." They're, they're, the they're, entire
0: they're, the entire massive structure is now going to become a strip club so
2: it is oh so this is like a, like a strip plo, strip 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 i'm trying to think of like what the metroplex version because i think a strip club i think of like three to five strippers but this if it's a whole warehouse this oh, no. sounds like a multi-story phenomenon
0: like a bollywood cast okay. like it is it is <laughs> massive massive right, the yeah. amount of spectacle that is there uh they it's so big that they then have a sports bar that doesn't have strippers. That's literally just... And it's bigger than most sports bars in South Florida. Like, yeah. they just tacked another thing on there because they had so much space. They figured, screw it. We'll just throw enough TVs in there. So here's the, here's the issue that happens in, in Miami-Dade County. Obviously, through the uh, summer, there was a big spike, and Miami-Dade was, was a huge part of it in COVID cases. So the uh, mayor decides that he's going to impose a curfew. Everybody off the beach, everybody out of the restaurants, everybody at bars weren't even open. 10 o'clock, that's how it goes. And so that remains in place for a while. And then eventually 10 o'clock becomes 11 o'clock as things start to die down with COVID cases. 11 o'clock becomes midnight. But a funny thing happens. The governor, Ron DeSantis, decides that he wants to say, Everything gets to open up now in the state of Florida, superseding any city or county laws. Mm -hmm. So now Tootsies, the Costco sized strip club is in between a rock and a hard place because they are trying to decide what they are going to, uh, who they are going to obey. Do they obey the governor, which technically legally has the superiority or do they have to force and if they do that, they have to force a legal challenge to this uh, uh, this this uh a curfew. So here is what they argued. This is the legal argument uh, of for Tootsie's strip club. And I'm going to show you right now, uh,, uh this is the actual like written on <laughs> legal, Uh, uh, their their legal argument. Uh, Plaintiffs maintain that the body, the human body, is a thing of beauty for which, when combined with music and rhythmic motions in the form of dance, conveys an important message of eroticism. Plaintiffs believe that providing this form of expressive communication to the public is a beneficial social activity which enhances individuals' conscious ability to assimilate, And consider various issues involving sexual candor and the interest in human sexuality that all human beings have to a greater or lesser degree. Plaintiffs further believe that the expression enhances the appreciation of the human body with an emphasis on the consideration of popular contemporary concepts of physical attractiveness and the stimulating and entertaining aspects of same, which are clear characteristics of a normal and healthy interest in human sexuality.
2: That's a, a brilliant stroke plagiarizing the Gettysburg address like that. that is <laughs> like, like People are going to go, "Oh man, I really appreciate that Lincoln reference. That's good. And so the
0: judge agreed with Tootsies and they forced an injunction against not only their uh, their uh, u- uh, obeyance of the curfew, but the curfew full stop. Now the whole curfew has been struck down in Miami because Tootsies. Uh, uh, said that the governor's order superseded it. So if there's one person that I know, will talk endlessly about the unintended consequences and weird wrinkles that can happen in the laws that we make. And more specifically, the laws that are made on the, in, in the spur of the moment, even for the best possible reasons.
2: You are it. What are your thoughts on this Tootsie's case? Uh, thank you very much, and I'm delighted to be commenting on this story, <laughs> which I do feel like is an appropriate uh, use of my, my talent set. Uh, I've got a few thoughts on this. First of all, um, I think that the judge was right. Now, I don't know Florida law, and I don't think I can get high enough to comprehend Florida law. No. But uh, it does seem to me that the law is on their side because the argument that she settled on was that the governor's The governor's orders, which supersede municipal orders, specifically forbade uh, depriving people of work. And that was ultimately what the court case hinged on. Uh, And so uh, they made the the case that, like, you know, the bulk of their clientele come in between the hours of 10 p.m. and and 1 a.m. or something like that. And therefore, if they if they, uh, you know, cut cut off the uh, or if they established a curfew time at 10, then effectively they'd have to put people out of business. Uh, and she was like, right. Yep. They that that is in in disobeyance of the governor's order. So I think regardless of whether that law was smart or not, that is the law. And she was doing her job by by exercising that insofar as, again, as I understand Florida law. Like, yeah. I, I don't know what the relationship is between municipalities and the governor. Sounds like he gets to trump them. Right. Yeah. Um, the thing that actually alarmed me a little bit, aside from like. I don't know what the public health. <laughs> I don't know what that's going to be of this. Like, so,
0: so uh, uh, according, I did do some further research here. Uh, Tootsie's is now operating at fifty percent capacity. Right. That being said, having been in Tootsie's, that's still maybe a couple hundred people, depending on exactly where right. they put them.
2: Well, and then beyond that, like, like so, so many of these laws that have been crafted over the last six months are a good idea followed by buckling based on pressure specifically lap pressure in the case of (laughs) strip clubs where there are literally laws being crafted where they'll say, okay, uh, your strip club can operate, but it can only operate at 50% capacity, but lap dances are fine. And I'm like, wait a minute. I don't really understand. Like I'm not a doctor, but it would seem to me that like if I, if I were trying to affect this for purposes of actual, uh public health i would say get rid of the lap dances that that seems to be more unless they've got like a sexy gas mask or something like that yeah uh and then we can go full throttle dystopia where you've got half naked women in your lap wearing a gas mask it just we'll all live in blade runner um so that was but but actually i don't want to comment on that a whole lot because i don't know the public health of that the thing that actually um struck me about this case was that uh I've not read through the, the plaintiff's document, but in the in the reading I did, it seemed to me that they were approaching freedom of speech laws as the they way were. That they were
0: doing they it. They were. They actually, the dancers right. uh, uh, or, or whatever machination between the dancers, and I, I don't know who exactly filed it. I think it was in part from the employees, but right. not necessarily the business that filed the lawsuit. But they did
2: classify erotic dancing right. as speech. Right. And that worries me, and this is the unintended consequence of that.
0: Oh, wow. So we are into unintended consequences on unintended consequences
2: on unintended consequences. Like like the three bigaboos I have are like comparative advantage, regulatory capture, and unintended consequences, Yes, and bringing up how Northern Europe actually functions, and it's not a socialism, but I'll digress. (laughs) Um, With with the unintended consequences of this, uh, like philosophically i think what we're trying to protect with freedom of speech not the language of the constitution but rather the the philosophy that that we're all kind of uh, on board with is we want to protect people's ability to express opinions i would say that that's freedom of speech in a nutshell um it's being able to put on paper or or say something um or it could be it could be a physical display but it's you're wanting to relay an opinion and i i would say that uh, entertainment, particularly nude entertainment, I don't know that it's necessarily expressing an opinion. Um, the way, say, like uh, now there have been cases in, like, in California, I believe, and in New York. Um, there have been court cases, if not laws, that have enshrined your ability to do a topless protest if you're if you yeah. want to protest and take your shirt off to say men get to not wear their shirt, how come we don't get to wear our shirt or alternately, we're going to take our shirts off to highlight lack of funding for for uh, uh, breast cancer research that because you are making a political statement and an expressive statement that is protected as freedom of speech. However, saying you know men want to pay us money to take our clothes off you're not like that's that's a contractual obligation you're not necessarily expressing something now it's not that i have a problem with that per se the the bigger issue i have is that i think we are really relying overly hard on freedom of speech cases where lawyers now know that it is much easier to get a victory on freedom of speech grounds than it is to get a victory on uh, 14th Amendment or 9th Amendment grounds. of yeah. Like, uh, in a nutshell, like, hey, I have a constitutional right to be able to do my business, right? Which is really what they're arguing. That was the crux of this case is yeah. the judge ruled on it was you're, you're going to keep people from being able to uh, do their jobs. Therefore, it is running afoul of the gubernatorial mandate. Um, that's a lot harder to do in most instances. It's a lot harder to do freedom of association in the courts. It's harder to do uh, unwarranted economic problems in in it. So people just go with freedom of speech. And I think they're going to overdo it. I think we are in the process of overdoing it, where if every victory in the courts that you need to have happen ends up being uh, like a labyrinthine back way of, of, well, yeah, okay. ultimately it's freedom of speech. At some point, that door is going to snap shut. There's going to be a court case that goes, no, Uh, It has to be very clearly these things to qualify as a freedom of speech case. That hasn't happened. The door is very wide right now. Yeah. And as a very big freedom of speech advocate, I am a little bit worried we're going to overdo it and get that yanked away from us. And And, and then ultimately ultimately the
0: issue will be that there will be more ways to infringe on
2: freedom of speech. Bingo. Yeah. I I think because I would not describe this as a freedom of speech case or a freedom of expression case. I, I would describe it as like, uh, you know unwarranted economic uh burdensome or burdens. Like yeah. I'm I'm with the strippers. Like I, I think like like if if you're if you're designing a law and you're trying not to get people out of work, like yeah, I, I think that the, the law is on their side. It's but yes, I, I think as we are as a society more and more questioning how much actual freedom of speech we want people to have, and it's becoming more and more scrutinized. I am worried that by over-relying on the court for things that aren't really freedom of speech, we're going to jeopardize that right itself when brought to a court. I'm
0: with you. I'm with you. I
2: I almost feel like
0: also this should be its own pocket universe. Like, COVID stuff should just be its own... Like, all right, break glass in case of 100-year pandemic. Right. Like, Like, because... So much of this is crazy. Like the, the the government, local, state, federal, just saying these things can or can't happen is crazy. Uh, uh, these issues of of now exactly fighting in the margins to see what is the actual constitutional protections between public safety and your ability to run a business. Like, like that's kind of, uh, I mean, it's interesting to see it as some kind of science experiment, but I almost feel like all of this should just be like not used as precedent going forward. Yeah. You
2: know what? I agree with you. I think like uh, establishing precedent, like I I think like there's certain things that have come out of this that I would love to keep the fact that like basically all state governments have been like, you know what? You can walk around with booze. It doesn't actually do anything like that's great.
0: Talk about something else that has been pioneered by the greatest state of the union, Florida. Like (laughs) I, I, I have always in my life, I have always walked around and, you know, we're downtown and you you have a beer and I'll just like walk outside. And I've always had friends from outside of Florida. That'll be like, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You gotta, you're going to get arrested. It's an open container. It's like, I kind of feel like as long, especially when I had a Florida ID, I kind of felt like I could hit the cop with like, Oh, I'm sorry, officer. I didn't know that was illegal here. Right. Here's my floor. Like it would be like if I was smoking weed on the street and I had an Amsterdam license, Right. I'd be like, Oh, Really? <laughs> ah, learn something new every yeah. day. A doff of my cap to you, local constable.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so those things I like. But at the same time, though, no, I'm with you. I think, like, precedent, like, in the same way that, like, the Roman Republic would have, like, a dictator, but they'd only come in for, like, the conflict. And yeah. they were, like, constitutionally bound by six months up until Sulla or whatever. Like, I think, like, something like that of, like, guys, like, we recognize that things are out of the ordinary right now. But when, like... Like, like there's an automatic sunset clause of a year and then like everything has to have a great assault. Where is your
0: worry? Because I know you do think a lot about stuff like this. Where is your worry that some of the restrictions that have been put on now are not going to recede as, as, as fast? Because the laws, you know don't tend to go away Mm. and they certainly don't tend to go away on things that are politically unpopular. Like I can understand the strip clubs fighting because if things slowly get better as eventually we assume they will, Uh, The one thing that's not very popular to do, even in South Florida, is to be the yay strip club candidate (laughs) like like that is that is just not something you usually run on and -hmm. and you can get made fun of for it. You could could damage your career. So are there elements of of our our, our lockdown that like you're not we're not being alarmist here. We're not saying that this is a government takeover, but just that you're like, let me dog gear this page just to make sure that it goes away eventually.
2: Well, for sure, and I, I think you are demonstrably seeing that the world over. So, outside of the United States, um, there there are think tanks that endeavor to quantify how well democracy is doing, and they've got different scoreboards, you know, based on how transparent the election is, how uh, how open the election is, the the you know how universal the suffrage is, et cetera, et cetera. That's all declined uh, in in the last year, uh, and in any country that has a strongman, that. Um, had some amount of democratic bulwark against them is in the process of squashing that. Like Turkey and a bunch of other countries have gone, you know, for reasons of public interest, we are not going to have an election this year. It would just be too much of a strain yeah. on our public reason. Like, we're, we need to knuckle down and let the lead and like, and they've just decided, no, we're not, we're, we're not even going to pretend to have opposition elections. That's happening the world over right now, demonstrably so. Uh, here in the United States, like, nice little trick that uh, New York did under the cover of COVID is New York decided that you need three times as many uh, signatures to get on the ballot. There's a third party from now on. So now, if you want to be, really? yeah, three times as many. So it was already hard yeah. getting on the ballot in New York. It was already a rigged game, and they went nobody's looking. Just jack that up by three hundred percent, which they've done. You now need like forty-five thousand signatures in six weeks to get on the ballot in New York State. So, wow. like, so that
0: I mean, and basically that means money. You need, yeah, you need you need to hire people that will no stand way, outside of the uh, yeah. grocery store and get signatures.
2: Right. So they've been, they've done a very good job of choking off any type of actual threat to the two party system. So it's happening to some extent here in America. I think the the long term ramifications that I, I am more worried about are uh, things which make sense right now that will be unpopular to repeal when the when the situation has gone away. So like a hypothetical which I don't believe is on the table at the moment. Uh, I would be I would happily enfranchise myself into an app that. Uh, recorded my contact with other people, uh, I would I would voluntarily engage in that in, order, yeah. in in case I got COVID, I could alert other people and, and vice versa. And in fact, I saw that on my phone the other day, which I was I don't remember being told about, but OK, that's fine. But I want the ability to turn it off. Yeah, uh, I, I do want the ability to go. You know what? I just like I like and I, I'm really not that worried about stuff. I have a I have an Amazon Echo uh i i use my smartphone i use google like like i i don't I, i'm not really worried about but, it yeah but, but i do want that option and i want other people to have that option so
0: so so far i feel like we passed the worst version of when if that if that was going to happen we passed the worst moment of it unless we have an insane second wave for which right is is far more horrifying than what happened last spring which good god if that's the case then then we're really in for it but The closest we got to it was Apple and Google both saying, all right, we'll build into our OS a framework where you can build an app. Yeah. So they wouldn't do it, but effectively what it is is Bluetooth constantly pinging to any other phone that is saying that you have Bluetooth. It doesn't store who it is. It just randomizes it and says, you know, string of numbers, you were by blah, blah, blah. Then if you get a diagnosis, mm. you can then say, all right, hit everybody that was near me, whether or not they knew that they were near me, right. that you were near somebody with COVID, so you should probably get tested and, yeah. and quarantined. Now, there's problems with that. I had an interview with the Electronic Frontier Foundation uh, president who said, Look, you don't. Bluetooth will ping somebody on the floor above you. That doesn't mean that you right. actually came close to them. And even if you have that, they're worried about jobs or governments mandating right. you to have that. Which on is my your, my yeah.
2: bigger concern is that because uh, it's not like and it's very difficult to ratchet these things down. So back to the strip club example, right yeah. of like like nudity and genitals, right? Yeah so like something that is remarkably dif- difficult to uh, to scale down from is anything involving um, uh, like public nudity or specifically like uh, like second degree, child molestation and like to to unpack that because people are I imagine bulking that I'm like trying to defend child molesters and that's part of the problem here is uh you know in my day at some point in my life I've probably got drunk and pissed in the playground like 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 uh at like one o'clock in the morning you know in December or something like there are no children around I'm like, no one has been exposed to me, but that's, I'm sure happened, or it's been within spitting distance of a playground or something, right? Yeah. Um, If you get caught by a cop in most states, now you might not get prosecuted, you might be able to talk your way out of it, but they have the discretion and the prosecutor has the discretion to go, you peed in a playground, therefore you exposed your genitals in a playground, therefore you are now on a sex offender list for the rest of your life. And that happens. And that is demonstrable, right? Not not a high likelihood, but it does happen. Now, if I were running for state legislature and I went, you know, I think we need to have some sort of system in place to to have... an overview of there were no children that you exposed yourself to. Therefore we can take this off your record because you can't drive by schools or live in your house or all these different things. You've been, you basically should have been fined for public intoxication, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you shouldn't, you shouldn't be lumped in with child molesters for your life. Right. But if I do that, anybody running against me can go, do you want to vote for heat the guy that's pro child molester? Yep, he's, yep. he's literally, he is literally, and he can't disagree with this, removing restrictions on, conf- on, on, confirmed, Child uh, people keep people uh, sex offenders yeah. right. So it's really difficult, and like that kind of stuff, like um, is difficult. Now in that case, it's involving sex, which is really visceral, right? I don't know about pandemic stuff because it's also like like if, if there's weird stuff that we decide now, it's going to be difficult to pull that back. Now the the electorate, I think, has remained somewhat divided on on like we haven't been a hundred percent gung ho on all of that in the same way that we're all opposed to sex offenders. Yeah. Uh, so I I don't know. Uh, there might be more of a, a I mean
0: look I I and that's that's why. Initially, it's like beyond the tittering of of like ha 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 strip club uh, uh, overturned the you know COVID stuff, and it's funny to read the headlines on it because normally, in a non pandemic world, that story would be like a yeah like the strippers beat right. the man yeah yeah, but now the headlines in like the cool blogs are like strippers ruining it for everybody <laughs> because they're gonna kill the uh, they're gonna kill the, the curfew so. It's odd. It's it, it's super weird. But I can understand from those from the perspective of that business and everybody that works there, including the cooks and the busboys and, and the valets and everybody else. Granted, South Florida is more of a nightlife town, a uh, nightlife area that they're going to stick up for cabarets, probably more than, let's say, Muncie will. Uh, <laughs> but I-, I can understand them saying, look, we can't rely on government here we have to force if, if if we believe we
2: should have the right to do it then they should have the lawyers to, to stick up for I, I do wonder though about like could you operate that place without lap dances because that does seem to me to be not not necessary for a strip I, club to operate and also clearly a public health concern
0: I was look I was trying to find the latest on this uh, but apparently Miami has not been able to ban lap dances successfully. Uh, so that is apparently a civil liberty for which has survived, yeah. uh, COVID. Th- at that, least in that the, in the-
2: I think I would strike that down. We're alternately like if you wanted to come up with like, like a sneeze guard that extends down to your belly button <laughs> so that you could, you could get all that sweet lap action, which by the way, I like. I've been to a strip club twice. Okay. I don't like them. I like for yeah. the record. I'm very. I am a hedonist. Whatever brings you joy, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, do it till it makes you sore. Like yes. I'm all in favor yes. of you. You enjoying yourself, right? That said, though, the the two times I've been to strip clubs, uh, I went to, I went with a bachelor party one time when I was religious, and uh, it struck me as like. Women being taken advantage of by the patriarchy. And meanwhile, very sad, lonely, desperate men being taken advantage of by hot women. Like everybody in there seemed victimized to me. I didn't like it. And then the second time I went, um, I had just gone to the Royal Ascot in Berkshire and yeah. I'm literally wearing a waistcoat and a top hat. Yeah. Like all of the other English people. And the That's two amazing. the two English people I was with, one of them was married, one of them was engaged, and he was like, Oh, we should go to a strip club. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So like we literally went to this gentleman's club as gentlemen wearing top hats. That's and, great. Uh,
0: I'm were you I'm sure you were very popular. I was
2: very popular and very uncomfortable yeah. uh, the entire time. It, it felt like, oh man, I just I, I didn't care for it. I've not been I back.
0: didn't realize when I was growing up uh, in in south florida that uh it was first strip clubs like growing up on broadway like <laughs> that there was just there's just a class of like they're world famous they are they are are sung about in in rap songs and rock songs like uh uh and and they're in general among the the the, the, the cut above of the, the, the genre nationwide, if not worldwide. I haven't really been to a lot of international strip clubs, I've, but
2: I don't know that I will like, like there's, there's a, there, there's an area in Edinburgh where I used to live called the pubic triangle nice. because it's got three different strip clubs. And I'm like, no, thank you. I yeah. don't like it's got well, a Scottish strip club. I, 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 nah,
0: I will say having been to strip clubs outside of South Florida, I can understand the reputation. I yeah. can, I can, I can understand. It's like, there's a little bit more effort put in it, in, in the clubs that I would go to, in my teens and 20s uh in in South Florida where it's like no you're it's a little bit more like a Disney World if instead of recreating Snow White it was every rap video you've ever seen <laughs> like there it, like it's it's very well decorated there's a lot of strobing yeah. like uh,
2: uh so yeah it, it's you know, I, I do like cabaret, though. I've been to a few cabaret shows in New York, and I feel like that, like, I don't feel sorry for the person on stage or the people giving the person on stage money. Like, everybody's having a good time. They're rooting for the cabaret yeah. answer. Like, oh, I, like oh, I, th- I
0: mean, I, I would say in the amount of money you see being forked over in some of these clubs, I, I'm not sorry for anybody. I'm not sorry for anybody <laughs> who's pulling out the, like, hundreds of dollars in, you know, a lot of these these clubs in South Florida will do, like, Disney dollars. So it's like whatever you're taking out, that just goes to the house immediately. Like you then have to go get it changed back by like the one guy who doesn't speak English in the corner. So you never do. You just leave with like you know uh, twenty dollars in Tootsie Bucks or whatever. Yeah.
2: I'll, so I'll, yeah. Is a sign. When I was in Edinburgh, my my then flatmate hated strip clubs. She thought that they were misogynist and she wanted yeah. to ban them. Uh-huh. And I like, and I, I was picking my battles. Sure. But I was like, to be clear on this you do not think women should be allowed to use their body in this way like clearly these women could work at Starbucks like yeah. at, like they, they like if if they're hot enough to be Scottish strippers they're hot enough to be Scottish baristas exactly and I and my take was like I don't really want to go to the strip club but like if they think it's a better idea they're gonna and clearly gonna make more money as a stripper than a barista like like that's I'm fine I don't really want to go participate in it but like good luck I hope they enjoy it I hope yeah. they make a lot of money and uh, and she was like de- like she was like talking about throwing bricks through the window if they didn't ban it because it was an affront to women. And I was like, again, I'm the guy that thinks that women own their bodies and that they could do whatever they want. And you're the one viewing them as like a communal asset that has to be managed properly.
0: Yeah. No, that's. She was Australian,
2: too. What the f- they're supposed to be they're <laughs> like, like Australians are in the, in the words of Greg Proops. Australians are the people that were uh, too fun for England. Like, <laughs> like, uh, you know, like Americans were too boring for England. We, we got all the prudes. They're the ones that got the uh, the, the fun people.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess the difference between the barista and the stripper is that you're far less likely to have somebody randomly give you cocaine as a barista. So <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe you should have explained that to her. Maybe she would right. have picked up on yeah. it. Andrew, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. My pleasure. Politics. A reminder that if you enjoy content like that, if you enjoy Andrew Heaton on this show for the next few weeks, well, it only happens because you guys support Independent content. You guys support politics, politics, politics. And we're trying our best to give you value for your dollar. I'm committing to it right now. Anybody at the $3 level, anybody who heads on over to takepoliticsseriously.com and signs up at the $3 level, you're going to get five podcasts a week until election day. All right? It's just it's just happening. In fact, I only have one more payday between now and election day. That means that if you want to get those 5 podcasts and all the podcasts this week, and all the podcasts that you haven't heard up to this point, it's $3. That's all you need. Here's the grand total. Before it was 12, and then it was 9, and then it was 6. Three! Three! One, two, three. That's it. Ring the bell. That's all you have to do right now if you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. I think the only goal that we would have at this point is if we could get to thirteen hundred patrons. We're at twelve, right? Or sorry, as I as I record this, one thousand two hundred and forty-three. It would be a stretch. We need fifty-seven patrons between now and Election Day. But I don't know. You guys have been so insanely supportive in the past. Maybe it would. Maybe it's possible. Especially when you find out that you get everything you could possibly want for $3. It's literally not even a cup of coffee. Not even a cup of coffee. $3 and you will get every podcast that I do between now and Election Day. Ooh-wee. And by the way, if you want to take it to the max beyond that, take it to the max beyond that, you can hear me on The Political Orphanage, because the way that Heaton is appearing on my show, I'm appearing on his. So if you're like five podcasts a week, why so few? And you want to hear more, number one, subscribe to The Political Orphanage. No matter what, that's free. That, that is a bargain. Our guest today is no stranger to the program. He is a sometimes co-host of this show. He is Our British correspondent, he, more notably, is the host of the Daily Tech News Show. He is Tom Merritt. Welcome to the show, Tom.
1: Ah, it's so good to be back. I don't know why I affected uh, a bit of a brogue there. Welcome to the show, Tom. You know, I'm part Irish, uh, so I will decide to take offense at
2: that.
0: Good. Uh, So we have a big shoe to drop. Possibly the first in many shoes in terms of D.C. taking
1: on Silicon Valley. Yeah, man, this shoe has just been hanging out there, looming above us, finally. Oh, thank goodness. And
0: it, it seems, I mean... I guess it's it's so many things are happening. It, like, I guess it's hard to even approach the magnitude of exactly what this means while we're also confirming a Supreme Court justice that'll tip the court and we're in the final fortnight of an election. But this is significant, right? Because the last time that the government went after a tech company was Microsoft.
1: Sure. Uh, at least at least with this much gusto. Uh, don't forget that uh, the U.S. investigated Google. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission investigated Google in 2012. Spent a year investigating, and in 2013 said, "Nah, we don't, we don't see much here." They and they got Google to agree to avoid a trial by doing some stuff, uh, and that's stuff that at the even at the time people thought, "Well, that doesn't seem like that big a deal." Now, of course, it's described as toothless, et cetera. We're in a different situation. This is an an, an actual uh, antitrust full court press. And I think what is probably more significant is that it's not just the department of justice. It's a group of 11 state attorneys general joining the case at this point, all Republicans, and I'll leave that to you to explain, uh, we will probably get some Democrat attorneys general either join this case later or, uh, bring their own similar case There are other cases against Google being pursued as well. A large group of states led by Texas is considering a separate case on Google's position in ad tech, which is going to be confusing to some people because there's search ads are part of the DOJ case. But think of it this way. That's the ads that appear on the Google search engine. The Texas case would be about the ad tech that Google sells to other people to display ads on their own websites. Uh, So you could have at least 2 cases against Google by the end of next year possibly 3 if not more
0: all right well before we start multiplying these things let's talk about what came out uh, yesterday and and that is a department of justice case against Google for their advertising business that that from from what i've been able to understand that is the center of this is the fact that they are an advertising powerhouse And that that has created the ability for them to have a unfair monopoly. Is that right?
1: Yes, that is correct. The filing is a bit of scrambled eggs. Uh, I've I've been reading a lot of, this is not my own assessment, but a lot of legal assessments are like, they could have tightened this up. Uh, But from what's in there, the general main points are Google uses its search and search advertising anti-competitively. So they use exclusionary and interlocking business agreements uh, to keep competitors out of search, which allows them to make money off search advertising, which they can then funnel back into their partners to keep them locked into search. So it's this cycle of of being a monopoly, both in search and in search advertising. Um, For instance, Google pays billions of dollars to make Google the default search engine on mobile phones and browsers. It then requires its search app to be preloaded and undeletable on Android phones, uh, prohibits competitor search apps from being preloaded on phones as part of a revenue sharing agreement, and then takes all that revenue, uh, rakes in billions in advertising. I'm going to pick up on the uh, the quote. That's fine. As it says in the filing, these enormous payments create a strong disincentive for distributors to switch. So the suit alleges, and again, in the words of the suit, Google effectively owns or controls search distribution channels accounting for roughly 80% of the general search queries in the United States. So what they're saying with all of that is uh, they lock up Android and browsers to only use Google. Uh, They then make a bunch of money off of that. They share the revenue with the people who are part of the lockup, to keep them under golden handcuffs, like you wouldn't want to walk away with this deal. Look at all the money we're giving you. Uh, and that allows them to build this monopolistic position of
0: 80%. They are undoubtedly paying all these platforms, right? Like these are not in dispute. The The question then I guess becomes in terms of antitrust law, does Google have a leg to stand on, on the idea that what they're saying today in their official response is no one's being kept anywhere, even on these platforms that you're talking about. Everybody can switch if they want. We just happen to have the best product, and sorry for party rocking.
1: Yeah. Also, look at all these gifs of how easy it is to switch in Chrome to a different search uh, advertisement, which is what they, they put in their official blog post about this. It's going to come down to how a judge interprets the Sherman Act, right? Uh, the the general feeling on this stuff, uh, from what I understand, is being a monopoly isn't illegal. Abusing the power of your monopoly is illegal. Yeah, And abusing the power of your monopoly has usually been judged based on harm to consumers. So what Google's defense is going to be is how are consumers harmed? They get a free product. Uh, And by the way, they can switch at any time. The barrier to switch is not like it was with Standard Oil, where it's the only place to buy oil. Uh, we showed with our gifts that you can switch to Bing or Duck Go easily if you want to. It's just that people don't want to. But even in that case, is there
0: anything in the DOJ's uh, filing that says, well, Yeah, the harm is you keep being able to buy up all these companies and you continue to become a big enough behemoth that you're eventually going to have your fingers in so many pies, you'll never be able to go away, even if there was another product that was better.
1: Yeah, they they don't even have to get to the buying up of the companies to make that point, right? They can just say, you make it uh, so that people don't even think to switch. Uh, because you're the defaults. And they're going to try to argue that being a default search provider is, in the current age, tantamount to lock-in. That while it might be easy to drill down in these confusing settings, your honor, and change it, no one's going to do that. Very obviously, people have it. And then it's going to be a question of, well, do they not do it because it's difficult or do they not do it because Google's great? Uh, And in the end, it's going to be up to a judge to decide, is this actually lock-in? Uh, and is it, in fact, squelching innovation? And, and that's why I think the DOJ might have a one of its stronger cases is to point to the attempts by a DuckDuckGo to say, like, Google invades your privacy. DuckDuckGo doesn't want to invade your privacy, but they can't make any headway. Uh, they can't get people to switch because it's really hard for people to be aware that they exist. Let's
0: look back in time because Microsoft was the last time that the that the DOJ went after uh, a tech company for antitrust. What was that over for those that either don't remember or were too young?
1: Yeah, it was about the fact that Windows was predominant on the desktop. So again, the same sort of like high percentage of desktops have Windows, which hasn't really changed, frankly. Uh, But uh, they, they have a monopoly position and they're abusing it In multiple ways. Uh, They are forcing you to use their browser, Internet Explorer. Uh, They are forcing you to use their services because you have to get Windows. Uh, And they essentially got some slaps on the wrist. They got some fines and they had to, in Europe, uh, do that browser selection screen uh, where you, you fired up your Windows installation and it gave you a list of browsers to choose from. Which, by the way, is what Android is doing with search as well. When you install Android on a new phone, it asks you which search engine you want. So, but but uh, this
0: primarily was—I mean—the big flashpoint that at least I remember was about the browser. It was about Internet Explorer versus Netscape. Uh, that that it was it was the default browser that that was there, and Netscape felt that they didn't have a chance to compete. Yeah, with
1: and it. and Netscape had a better uh, a, a better story to tell which was we were the predominant browser until Windows came in and bundled a browser with Windows. Yeah. And as soon as that happened, people stopped using us because they they kind of forced us out by being the default. Yes, you could download and install Netscape, but why would you when Internet Explorer popped up at the beginning?
0: Yeah, and I guess uh, uh, there is not quite the same story with Google because Google was the default search engine with Apple. You know, in fact, famously, uh, that was part of uh, (laughs) Steve Jobs' stolen product argument. Was that they had worked so well as the internet services company and the OS maker that he was furious that Android even came
2: out.
1: Yeah, there's going to be those stories of, uh, look at Apple, they use Bing for some of their search uh, results, which they do uh, through Siri. Uh, There's going to be the story of Mozilla, which changed to Yahoo for a while and then decided to change back, which that story works both ways. It could be either they had to change back because Yahoo couldn't be good because it didn't have the resources developed because Google has a monopoly. Or it could be they changed back because, well, just other people can't compete because Google's the best. How much of this is a brain drain argument? You know, in, obviously there
0: there are uh, uh, you know, engineers are very h- highly sought after in Silicon Valley, and that certainly would be a money advantage and something that Google and Facebook and Twitter and Uber are able to leverage is the fact that they're they can hire by making competitive offers that maybe smaller companies can't.
1: That's interesting. I haven't seen that particular argument made very often. Uh, when, when I have seen it made, it's usually bundled in with uh, the acquisition argument of they they acquire competitors before they can innovate. But the DOJ case is really, really hitting on monopoly. Yeah. It's hitting on no one can even create a startup. Uh, so I think they're really just going to hit harder on mar- market position.
0: All right. I got a two part question here and it's going to eventually end with us talking about where this might end. But one of the big canonical moments in Google becoming a ad powerhouse is their acquisition of a company called DoubleClick. What was that acquisition and how did that supercharge Google's ad position?
1: Yeah. DoubleClick was evil until Google bought them, and that was always very interesting to me. Everyone, hey, a DoubleClick—they're the worst. This ad company, and then Google bought them, and suddenly no one cared anymore. There, there was a little flare-up. So, a, a, oh, I a, 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 a,
0: explain to the to to the to the politics audience exactly why DoubleClick was evil.
1: Because of all the things you hear about Google now, <laughs> that's where I was going with that. Yeah, is DoubleClick was the tracker uh, and. Frankly, not as pervasive as tracking is now just because the technology hadn't developed that far. But they were the ones who put the flashing ad banners on you. They were the one who set all the cookies that tracked you around the Internet. Uh, They were invading your privacy and ruining your browsing experience because they pushed all of these ads on you. And then Google bought them and turned them into AdSense. And suddenly AdSense became A a beautiful, wonderful thing that only helped uh, innovate on the Internet and spread the wealth to all the bloggers of the world.
0: So also, uh, real quick, you know, uh, uh, back of the matchbook history on online ads. The great revolution that Google had was not only the way that they were able to develop their search program, but also that unlike, let's say, the dominant position uh, that Yahoo had, if, if you had $200 to spend on ads and you called Yahoo, they would say, well, ring me when you got 20000 kid. We ain't got time to pick up your little bit of money. Google decided that they were going to do an auction system. And so when they were selling ads on top of your search results, you were able to buy any amount of it, depending on how much you were willing to pay per click. The double click, as I know it, uh, acquisition, took that model and brought it web-wide. Now you weren't just buying the search result ads. You could put your ads any and everywhere with the same kind of low cost to entry uh, auction based model that Google had made famous. And that has been the golden egg or the goose that lays the golden eggs for Google ever since.
1: Yeah. And interestingly, uh, it's not just DoubleClick. Google bought several ad companies at that point. Uh, and, and just none of them were as as well known as DoubleClick, and combined all these various technologies into being the ad juggernaut that it is now. Most of what we knew as DoubleClick is in the ad tech situation yeah. that I mentioned earlier. It's the stuff sold outside. Of the search network, which is not the subject of this particular uh, DOJ case, but the fact that they are intertwined and the fact that that is what made Google blow up is why you're also seeing attorneys general looking into suing them over their ad tech and the way they implement that.
0: So let's get into how this might end because antitrust cases in the past for tech have not particularly been catastrophic, but America does have a history of when things get so big, we talk about breaking them up. Standard Oil was one, AT&T another. And I guess at would be a tech company that they broke up, uh, but obviously in a different planet than where we are now. What are the possible remedies from your perspective on where Google could end up by the end of this?
1: Yeah, let's let's tick through the options. And I, I'm sorry uh, to to relegate this to fan fiction for most of you, but sure. they are not going to break up Google. It just doesn't seem likely. Uh, that is an extreme measure that courts always want to find another remedy. You only break it up if there's really just no other remedy. And that's why you can name on one hand the standard oils and at that have been broken up over the years. Uh I wouldn't say it's 0%, but it's a very low chance that that's going to happen. The next... Well, here, hold on. Before 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 we get to the next, if there was a limb of this
0: tree for which you would target, and granted, let's understand that it's remote, is it... I mean, it can't be the ad sales business, because the ad sales business takes the engine out of this
1: car. Oh, no, you you, you break up ad sales as its own business from Android... From YouTube, maybe, uh, and 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 you say you've got you've got a technology company, you've got a mobile operating system company, and you've got an ad company, and they can't all three be together. Something like that, gotcha. I think, is what they would come up with.
0: So that would have to be it. based on what this complaint is. You would have to rip the ad sales company out of it.
1: I, I think that if you decided to go that route, uh, I'm I'm sure there's other ways that people can imagine doing it, but it wouldn't make sense to me to say your problem is that you're tying your operating system and your search engine to ads and then leave ads in with one of those two. Like those, yeah. those are the three problems. So that seems to be the fault lines that the DOJ is trying to line out as, as the places to split. I I just don't see the court doing that. And in fact, the DOJ is not asking for that. Uh, they're not asking for any particular remedy in their filing, which is not unusual.
0: Yeah, that, and and they have said that they that that will be determined at a later date. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so that is not anything that that was like intentionally left out. All
1: right. So let's understand that that's
0: a remote case, and again, there's a reason why we have so few examples of it to point to. What is more likely?
1: Yeah, it's going. It's it's un it's un an un, unknown what a court might actually come up with. They, they would have a lot of options. Uh, some of them would be punitive, like fines, uh, but those usually just happen and then they checks get written and that's the end of that. Uh, any actual substantial remedies would be invalidating the agreements that require companies to include Google stuff in order to get other stuff. Uh, in other words, you can't say... Well, if you want the default search app, you also have to take Google Assistant and Chrome, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It would be saying that your agreements on search can't be tied to revenue in such a way that ties people up. DOJ makes a big deal in the filing about how even if you want to walk away from a deal, Google structures them in a way that you lose revenue based on what you had already made because the revenue gets kind of Cascades over time. Uh, So, kind of, it's pretty wonky, but changing the way those deals can be constructed uh, so that it's easier to walk away from them. Basically, some kind of breaking up of the bundling and some kind of opening up of the bidding process. All right, let's talk about Google really quick. Where is Google
0: as a company? let's say, compared to a Twitter or or a Facebook, how big are they and how, for lack of a better word, competently are they run to the anywhere between flighty and dystopic leadership that we often read about in Silicon Valley?
1: Well, I mean, Google is the majority and the only money making part of Alphabet, Uh, so if you go looking around to find Google on the stock market, you'll find a ticker symbol called Goog, but it's tied to a company called Alphabet. Uh, Alphabet has a lot of companies that they're trying to get going, uh, like Waymo for automated cars, for instance, you may have heard of, but Google brings in all the money. Uh, so it is a complex, huge company. It's one of the largest companies in the world. Uh, and it is executed very well. By Sundar Pichai, who is the CEO of Alphabet and Google. Uh, if you are like, wait a minute, I thought it was Larry and Sergey. Uh, yes, um, Larry Page and, and Sergey Brin founded Google. They are still the controller, the controlling owners of the stock, uh, with the prime seats on the board of directors of Alphabet. But they, last year or so, uh, handed over the reins to Sundar Pichai, uh, and he is an engineer and a te- technocrat. Uh, and he runs it very well. When he first ascended,
0: my instinct was: this is a wo- this is the, the this is a wartime CEO. He is somebody that knows the business very well. That will be very defensive of the business. And based on where they were previous, which was very much alphabet forward, that we are not just Google. We are this grand uh, menagerie of amazing companies. The focus of the company now seems to be with this on the horizon saying, we'll survive this and then we'll take a look at this Alphabet thing once we're at the other side.
1: Yeah, I I think the Alphabet structure probably stays uh, unless there's some other. Oh, yeah. yeah. By that, I mean,
0: I mean, like the leadership here is Google centric, like making the CEO of Google, the CEO of Alphabet says that Alphabet or that Google is not just the biggest company in Alphabet. It is Alphabet.
1: Yeah, as far as the bottom line goes, uh, there is no money in Alphabet without Google. Uh, And that's why Sundar runs the both. I I could see maybe Sundar letting go of Google uh, once the, the floodwaters have receded, per se. But really, I look at Sundar as the Voltron of Larry Page, Sergey Brin, and former CEO Eric Schmidt, Eric Schmidt was the CEO of Google when Larry and Sergey needed an adult in the room. They were, they were programmers from Stanford. They needed somebody who knew how corporations worked to help them along. And at one point, Eric uh, rode off into the sunset and said, my sons, you have learned the lessons. Go forth and run the company. And they did for a few years before they realized this is no fun. Yeah. <laughs> we, like, we like doing tech stuff. And they turned to Sundar Pichai, who in my estimation was part Eric Schmidt, as far as competent, business-savvy CEO, but also part Larry and Sergey, as in someone who really understood technology and was steeped in it and loved it, and uh, was, was the perfect choice for them. They
0: seem very, very, very ready for this fight. Google, Google has, as throughout all this, uh, I think to me seemed prepared, and, and, and from reading their responses today, it seems like, A, none of this is obviously a surprise, but B, they feel very confident in their position.
1: Sure, they and they fought it already. They fought it three times in Europe, uh, over ad tech, over search, and over Android. Uh, and they fought it in other places in the world, uh, Russia and India. They even fought it in the United States with the FTC. So they're not new to the fight. Uh, and so they've had plenty of time to refine their approach to it, Uh, They, of course, have very talented lawyers to go argue this. There's no reason they shouldn't project confidence. Uh, And if I were to read this filing today, I I would be very happy if I was Google because, first of all, this is not going to finish anytime soon. It's going to take years. The Microsoft case was filed in 1998, the same year Google was founded, uh, and took four years before it was finally resolved in 2002. So, we're we're going to see this play out for a long time. Google's going to use everything in their power uh, to move it along. And you tell me if a incoming administration change, if that were to happen, would change any of this.
0: I wouldn't suspect. But I, I mean, I think the fact that the Democrats didn't sign on uh, uh, or the AGs didn't sign on is certainly a sign that that all elements of our government are on some level politically motivated. Uh, But I'd guess that Biden would be a more tech friendly CEO than, uh, than, than Trump. But he certainly loves the DMCA. And well, I mean, yeah, you never, you never really know though. And, and, and you never know where the, the, the winds are gonna, are gonna blow and, and exactly how much this will affect, not only Google, but everybody else in Silicon Valley. So I guess that's that. Where that's where we'll end up. Is there anything here that gives us hints for the other uh, uh, closet full of shoes that we expect to drop in terms of antitrust cases against Facebook and uh, uh, anybody else?
1: Yeah, I've read some stuff today that was suggesting that uh, this case would set the tone for any cases against Facebook. And and potentially Amazon and Apple as well. Uh, If I were doing this, and remember, the FTC has two of these, and the DOJ has two of them. They they split it up. I I I wouldn't wait. I'd bring them all in. Now, granted, that doesn't mean they all get heard at the same time. And one of them getting heard earlier certainly could set precedents that would be used in a following court uh, case. And the other question I have is. If you do have administration change, and maybe you don't, right, if, if Bill Barr is still the attorney general in January, the, this is going to go ahead the way it is now. But if you do have a new attorney general come in, I wouldn't be shocked if they changed the tactic, uh, because a lot of people are criticizing this about being a rushed filing. And you might get a, a refiling or, or, or some other uh, legal maneuver to strengthen the case in the future. You might even get that from attorney general Barr. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean there is bipartisan support to come and get come at these companies. And honestly, in looking through all of it, Google to me seemed like among the the weakest options in terms of antitrust. Amazon has always seemed to me to be the richest. Uh, and and maybe depending on how much you want to go hard on Facebook's acquisitions Facebook and then, you know, Apple in their and their store. But then again, if you're going to go after Apple in their store, you know, you could also go after Google in the Android store for some of the same reasons.
1: I think Google is picked first because it is the clearest monopoly. There is no other search engine. Yeah. Google, Google can put all the gifts at once on its blog to show how easy it is to switch to Bing. It doesn't change the fact that people don't switch to Bing. Uh, Amazon can make some credible arguments that like, hey, you know, we're a big retailer. Sure. And we're even bigger online. But there are others uh, and they're big. Uh, you know, the Walmart exists. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that there isn't a case against Amazon. There absolutely is. But Google, there's just no question that they have, you know, the predominant market share and there is no other usage of the option. And I think that makes it the easiest case to start in on possibly
0: just that that public awareness yeah of that, the idea like that, nobody's that,
1: gonna argue that Google isn't a monopoly it's whether they're abusing it or not
0: yeah yeah well we will have to see how this wraps up uh but we are smarter for it for speaking with uh Tom who by the way uh, uh I've gotten great feedback on our on our special future of gig work co-production oh, good. Uh, so uh, I, I was so, so proud to to do that with you, and hopefully people enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I had a, a lot of fun doing it. I'm glad people are finding it uh, informational and useful.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right, Daily Tech News Show is the podcast. Head on over there right now. Tom Merritt, thank you so much. You bet. And that will wrap it up for us today. I want to thank everybody who supports this show I want to thank everybody who gets on our newsletter, Newsletter freepoliticalnewsletter.com. It's where you get uh, uh, my digest of stories, five stories a day, the best feedback section on the internet. We'd love if you could join. Head on over right now, freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Best of all, it's free. Uh, And of course, the people that, that make this wheel keep on turning... At TakePoliticsSeriously.com including the Titanic $10 tier. Let's read their names, huh? Lord Generic Frenchman, Dr. G, Jacob Wilson, Dallas Danger Taylor, Zombie Doc, Gazer Beam, Utah Jimmy Montana, Captain Bunzo, Cujo, Tally, Richard Memory Pie App, Crookie McCrookface, Justin Ryan Egan, D Laser, Matt, who called from Labor and Delivery. I still can't believe that one. Starfleet for Biden, Katie. Uh, vote for B- Joe Biden 2020. Evan, Rob, vote for Gloria Young 2020. Vote for Trump 2020. Martin, Government Unfiltered. Neil, Archie, Darren, Daily Tech News Show. Adam, Joe, David, Jacob, DL, Stephen, Kyle, Jad, Miranda, Jenny, Robert, Paul, the most conscientious, nonpartisan listeners. Glenn Wolfbrand, Chili Scoop, Dustin, David, just another pilot. Middle Age, Mike, Jim, The Gen, MacBook Pro, Leon, Frozen Summers, J. Pink, Andrew, Matthew, and James. You want to join their ranks, you head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You could be part of our Election Day recap episode if you head over there right now. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Up until Election Day, being on that list... It's only going to cost you $10 for one week. $3 gets you all the podcasts leading up to Election Day when they're going to matter. Guys, 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 now's the time. Show that you care about independent political analysis. Spread the word. Let everybody know. Shout it from the rooftops. PX3 is the place to be. If you want to send in your emails, you can do so at, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Catch our season finale of Raise the Dead 1964, Johnson versus Goldwater, out now. The final episode is called The Man Who Got Everything He Wanted. It's about Lyndon Baines Johnson. But until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more. We're out here talking about politics. But this... This is the only show that doesn't
1: matter. Ha! Ha! Diamond
0: Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>
1: Dog and Pony Show Audio.